พุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนมัสสามลุงพ่อสุจิตโต staying with us and he offered a dhamma talk on Saturday night in which he spoke at some length about finding balance and commented on various aspects of what's generally referred to as clear comprehension or in Pali sampajanya and Ajahn Suchito is well known for his interest and competence. When it comes to dealing with language, and I refer to him as the community's wordsmith, and and somebody that I would go to if I'm looking for an understanding of a particular word in English or in Pali, for that matter. And while he was here, also he and I had lots of uh, pleasing conversations, and in one of those conversations, he was sharing with me his understanding of. The change of meaning of the word progress, and I found it very interesting to to hear that back in the 16th century, the word progress didn't mean what it means these days. It was used in a sense of how the, the king's army were progressing across a county, and it's a movement and progressing, and it wasn't. About getting better in the way that it's used these days, and this ties in with the way advertising works, where it's for for a long time now the words "new" and "improved" are used, and not just recently for decades. It, it seems to have a a very strong. Impact. Otherwise, the advertising agents wouldn't be using it, and it's very tempting. It's enticing and pleasing to think of something new and improved. And is it always the case that something new is better? Is an improvement? It's something that we could use our practice to. To look into and see, check to see if we're not just being fooled by a story that the those who who promote the the values of the consumer culture want us to believe new and improved. If you don't have this, then you're somehow lacking things or experiences or holidays or ideas or new and improved. More is merrier. Change is better. Is this a story that it's wise to be driven by? And recently, I had the experience in the monastery here where we changed the telephone system, the external and an internal telephone system, and now it's a, a digital system. And and the story that the people who were Promoting their product told us it was very convincing. They're all right. Okay, we this is the direction to go in, and it seems, in fact, that you don't have any choice. Over the next few years, everybody will be will have to go digital, and and I confess I was quite excited about it. Oh, this is new. This is improved, and 
However, there have been a number of times since we've had this new system put in where it just hasn't worked. And most recently, we discovered that when the power goes out, which it does from time to time here, the internet then goes out. And then when the internet goes out, that means the new digital phone system doesn't work. It used to be the case that when the internet was down, the phone system still worked. Now it doesn't work. Just as a, a way of a, a mundane example. We can be excited and, and act accordingly if we haven't inspected this story about new equals better and improved. I've spoken before of an incident from the early years of developing Chithurst Monastery. Some of you will be familiar with this story. Whereby the two downstairs room in Chithurst House, we were thought if we just have one big room, it would be much better than two smaller rooms. And, and so we just remove this dividing wall here and... and so that, well, we can't just knock it down. That would be irresponsible. So it might be a supportive wall. So uh, took across the bottom a whole band of the wall and had a look to see, and there's, are there any supportive beams coming down to the floor there? So no. Well, let's check. And so across the top as well, a whole band across the top. And no, there's no supportive beams. There's nothing there supporting. It's not a supportive wall. That's very clear. Well, that's responsible. So the order was given to the whoever it was, the Anagarikas, just take it down, get the sledgehammers out, go for it. And sometime later, I don't know how long it was, and I, I forget exactly who it was, I think it might have been Ajanamaro, he came back to see how things were progressing, to use that word, and he noticed there was a very troubling bow in the ceiling above where the wall was, and and thankfully, quickly, they got the acroprops in to support the ceiling. What they hadn't realized was that the way the Victorians were built houses was there was actually two major cross beams from pillar to pillar. It was a supporting wall. And by taking it down, it was they were about to lose half the house and it could have come crashing down. So just again as an example of new and improve that story. As it happens, if there was a, an experienced builder from olden times around who we could have consulted, he would have simply pointed out that, well, you need to pay attention to this. And so sometimes tried and tested is better than new and improved. And certainly when we find ourselves being interested or motivated by the idea of new and improved, it's sensible to just hold back and, and question that, you know, not to reject it, because new can be better. Sometimes certainly new ways are better. And one of the advantages of youth is young people have new ideas. However, if those ideas are not contained and tempered and measured up against experience, well then those new ideas can just end up causing chaos. And there was a young fellow visiting the monastery recently and he asked my opinion on the uh, influence of technology and he had 
shared his opinion that it was great to see the way that all the power of technology was causing so much disruption and so many of the old structures that had hidden imbalances and injustices in society, these old structures were being disrupted and thanks to technology and he was obviously excited and pleased about it and he asked my opinion. I think I said something about how some of these folks in Silicon Valley uh, who see themselves as disruptors are really just reacting to something that's old because they like the idea of new. And just because the idea of new is appealing doesn't mean to say it's good. When you disrupt an old pattern, energy is released. And if there's not a way of containing that energy, then it can lead to chaos. There is such a thing as functional disruption, absolutely. Structural disruption can be very functional, it can be helpful. It can prevent things going stale, like, again, as a mundane example in, in, the, in our monastic community. Quite a few of our monasteries have a, a, what's called a chintagra or a, a sauna. And the regulations in the Vinaya and the code of discipline about how to conduct yourself in the sauna. And, and the, there isn't hierarchy in the sauna. Like every day in the monastery, the, the senior monk sits on the high seat and you show respect for hierarchy in the jintagra, in the sauna. The hierarchy doesn't apply in that way. And, and that otherwise very firmly held structure is set to one side. And that little disruption is very, actually I would say, very helpful and can be very helpful and people don't get overly stuck on the structure of hierarchy, for instance. There's still containment. It's not just like whatever. And, or like, for instance, also the, some of you may have witnessed the ordination event in the monastery. Somebody takes monastic precepts and goes from being an Anagarika to a bhikkhu or an Anagarika to a Siddhadara. And, and sometimes it happens during the ordination procedure that uh, you see the parents crying and, and a pattern's been disrupted. Their, their child is no longer living in the same relationship with the parent that they used to. Presumably something similar happens at weddings. It's not because something terrible's happened. It's just tears are just a sign that energy is moving. A pattern has been disrupted, energy is moving, and it manifests as tears. Tears can be a symptom of joy, a symptom of sorrow, or just a sign that energy is moving, a pattern has been disrupted. And in the case of a ritual like that, an ordination, there's a containment is a containment and, and I've never seen uh, a mother or a father burst into wailing and despair during the ordination. There's a sense of containment which means hopefully <coughs> that they don't become overwhelmed by that release of energy by that change that's taking place. So when there's containment then yes there can be indeed there can be skillful or functional disruption. When there isn't containment, it can 
lead to chaos. So once again, just because just because we might see something as new, as inspiring or exciting, doesn't mean to say that we can trust that impulse. And I would say, let's be careful and you know, first question it. And this is part of the place of Indriya Sangra or conscious composure or skillful restraint. We're not just reacting, and it's a, it's a certain sort of strength. The, the tried and tested spiritual structures, such as a commitment to integrity, you build up too much energy without the, without the self-respect that comes from a commitment to integrity. Yeah. Self-respect is a container. Yeah. Yes, uh, with other aspects of uh, spiritual exercises, and inquiry and investigation, old patterns, old habits are hopefully, yes, intentionally and usefully disrupted and energy is released. However, there's the container that comes with self-respect, which is born out of a commitment to integrity. Similarly, with a commitment to mindfulness, to sati, to watchfulness. Training in integrity, training in, in mindfulness, these are tried and tested. And without them, trying to progress and deepen on the spiritual journey is likely to result in serious difficulties. Likewise, as I was saying, with, with skillful restraint or Indriya Sangra and wise reflection, particularly these four, these uh, integrity, mindfulness, skillful restraint, wise reflection, these are uh, skillful means or tried and tested techniques without which the spiritual journey is not likely to progress very far. And if we force it, if we try to force it, without it, well, it can end up, as I was saying, with, with chaos and confusion. The example that my late friend, the Vinod Mirkioni, used to give, which I'm so very fond of and have spoken about many times, is that the transformation of carbon dust into diamonds. Vidal Mirkioni used to be a geologist and she pointed out how the transformation of carbon dust into diamonds, they're both the same element, they're both carbon, but one's much more valuable than the other. The process of transformation involves a lot of heat and a lot of pressure. However, if there's not an impeccable container, then that process can end up with a big mess. So likewise, our intentional efforts to cause disruption can end up causing a big mess if we're not careful, if we're not skillful. If we're intoxicated by the story of new and improved. Sometimes this being excited and being motivated by the idea of new and improved is really simply being caught up in greed. The idea, I want something better, I want something more. Wanting can be fine. There's no, it doesn't have to be any problem with wanting. It's uh, talked about in, 
in the Buddhist teachings, this wholesome desire is very suitable. However, greed is poison. And the Buddha taught about the three poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion. If our intentional actions are distorted by these three poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion, then the result is not going to be helpful. It's going to be disappointing. And so this is something that, again, we'd all be wise to take time to consider, to look into. Is this wholesome desire or is this just greed? How do we do that? How can we, how can we see greed as greed? How can we know if it's greed or if it's wholesome desire? Well, those four aspects of training, those four tried and tested aspects of training of a commitment to integrity, a commitment to mindfulness, a commitment to skillful restraint, a commitment to wise reflection. Well, that helps. And also, of course, as we would all know, the commitment to the refuge in the Buddha. That really helps. Cultivation of faith in selfless just-knowing awareness. Cultivation of the faith in selfless just-knowing awareness. Remembering the, the awareness, the knowing that is possible, not just the known, like the feeling, for instance, that I want, I want to eat chocolate. I want to eat chocolate. I really want to eat chocolate. What do we do? Oh, I shouldn't eat chocolate. It makes me fat, gives me headaches. Keeps me awake at night. I shouldn't eat chocolate. But I want to eat chocolate. What are, we going to, are we going to fight ourselves over it? Well, we could just really sit there and be mindful, exercise restraint, and just consciously want and investigate that, inquire into that. I want to eat chocolate. We're not eating chocolate yet. We're getting interested in the reality. We're practicing Dhamma here. I want to eat chocolate. Well, there's nothing new about that. Let's just drop the chocolate for a minute and just say, I want to eat. I want, I want. Wanting, wanting, wanting. Really, in the body, maybe you're sweating a little bit, maybe your heart's racing a little bit, fully wanting, really wanting, allowing yourself to really want. Is that okay? Are we allowed to do that? Or does that feel too dangerous? This is getting to know ourselves where we're at. This is not just intellectually playing a Buddhist game with ourselves up in our heads. That why shouldn't we be wanting Four Noble Truths, desire is the cause of suffering. The Buddha didn't say desire is the cause of suffering. The Buddha said craving is the cause of suffering. Craving is desire plus clinging. It's wanting that's been polluted, distorted by clinging. Craving is the cause of suffering. What is craving? Well, if we're just investigating that in our heads, we might make a little progress. However, we need to come into the whole being, into our, into our nervous system, into our breathing, and feel what does it feel like to want to eat chocolate? Can we just be there with it? Or maybe I want, I want to tell somebody what I think of them. Somebody's behaved in an obnoxious way, and I really want to tell them. Can I do it? Is it the right thing to do? I really want to tell. I really want. There's no doubt about it. I really want to tell this, but I want to tell them. Well, here we go again. Just forget about what it is we want. Just let's be with wanting. I want. I want. Wanting. 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 
maybe what you discover is that you stop fighting the wanting and really meet it. And maybe that's really new because it is the case that from a very early stage in life we just get into the habit of controlling wanting, controlling desires. From being very, very early on in life, once the ego starts to develop, we realize we can control our feelings with willpower. I want to steal my brother's toys. And so, well, if I do that, I'm going to get into trouble. So what do we do? We don't have the faculties to wisely reflect on that wanting. And nobody taught us the Buddha's teachings, probably, at that stage of life. So what do we do? We just control it. Until as the years go by, we're compulsively controlling it. Maybe you want to tell your school teacher what you think of them. I certainly remember I have very unpleasant memories of my French teacher at school. My geography teacher was friendly and I liked geography, but my French teacher was not nice. And, and if I had said what I thought of my French teacher, that would have got me into trouble. So what do we do? We control our desires until it becomes so habitual it even goes into unawareness. And so that's one reason why it's difficult when it comes to something as mundane as like stopping eating chocolate. We've got this big backlog of denied desire to the point we've even become alienated, to the point we even maybe feel like we're not allowed to. We're not even allowed to feel wanting. We feel guilty. And that's what happens when we deny life, deny feelings, and they get very distorted and get very weird and so how can we see greed as greed? Well, sometimes we've got a lot of work to do. And it can take years. It can take years to deal with the backlog of unmet life, unmet energy. It's not the energy that's the problem. Let's not make that mistake. It's the way we've denied it and it's become distorted. Our reaction to it has become distorted. So if we appreciate this, then we... We exercise our commitment to integrity, our commitment to mindfulness, and to skillful restraint and a wise reflection. And then when life disturbs us, we've got some troubling, troubled by desire, we can have faith in the refuge and selfless just knowing awareness. And then we try to feel what we feel. I want this. And then it feels like it's going to overwhelm us. Well, let's not be intimidated by that. This is, this is the work that needs to be done. If we can't really know greed is greed, how can we possibly let go of greed? How can we be truly responsible if we can't see greed as greed? So we get interested, not judgmental, not criticizing ourselves or criticizing whatever happened in our early stages of life. And just, this is where I am at with my heart energy right now. And it can be really, really interesting. Similarly with hatred. How can we tell hatred as hatred and not just normal, understandable disliking? Perfectly understandable to dislike something that's repulsive, like a really foul smell, and disliking arises. How can we know the difference between disliking and hatred? Well, likewise... Remember the refuge and awareness and not just be pulled into the content of awareness, the activity of awareness. I like to think of, sometimes I like to think of awareness as like the blue, open blue sky. And the content, the activity, the, the liking, the disliking, the, the wanting, the hatred, 
there's like clouds moving across the sky. So even if there's a lot of clouds, to trust that the sky is still there behind the clouds and if a cloud of hatred passes over to remember it's just a cloud passing through that can help to remember the faith we have in selfless just knowing awareness and let that relativize this activity this mood that's passing through and also to remember the possibility that just as with wanting yeah. ill will, aversion, whatever variation of negativity we're thinking about, early on in life we learned to control, compulsively control these moods until they became unconscious and so it's quite likely that a lot of us when we start to get real with our heart energy something like hatred comes up and there's a big backlog of denied negativity it can feel very threatening, very overwhelming I don't know if you've ever met somebody who's so possessed by self-hatred that they don't even question it. Even if they've heard the Buddha's teachings about the possibility of being freed from these poisons of greed, hatred and delusion, they don't even question the self-hatred. It's such a secure assumption that they've bought into. And in society it's so normalised, that ill will is so normal that they unfortunately don't question it. How sad, how regrettable. However, we have these teachings and, and hopefully the faith we have in the refuge in the Buddha can support us to get interested and to inquire and to make the effort to see greed as greed, to make the effort to see hatred as hatred. Mm. Not just to believe the way it appears. It can, maybe it can appear really justified. Let's exercise skillful restraint and question that. And there's all sorts of tricks that we can learn to play. Like, for instance, if you suspect maybe you've got a bit of a thing with, with self-disparagement going, then you, and you can't really get a handle on it, then you can maybe try to trick it into showing itself. Like, for instance, think the thought that I am an amazing guy. Everybody likes me, everybody loves me, I'm lovable, likable, absolutely incredible fellow, actually. <laughs> and then this little demon pops up and says, no, you're not, you're a pathetic, hopeless case. You always have been and you always will be, and everybody knows it. And if they don't know it now, they will sooner or later, because it's true, you really are a creep. All oh, right, that's interesting to see. Sometimes we do have to get creative to trick these conditioned tendencies into awareness. We can recognize them, meet them, endure them, and then hopefully, eventually, learn to let go of them. And similarly, with delusion, how can we see delusion as delusion? I think it was, I think it was ex Warapanyo <coughs> was on on arms round with Ajahn Chah or going for a walk with Ajahn Chah and he asked him this question with greed you can see what's going on with hatred you can see what's going on how can you see what's going on with delusion and Ajahn Chah commented well delusion is not knowing that there's greed and hatred mm. or perhaps another way of putting it is delusion is just the state of not knowing and this is why and where it is so important 
that we have spiritual companions. So when we're getting overly pleased with ourselves, when we're believing in a story, or maybe we're getting overly negative and hateful to ourselves, we're believing in some really unskillful story about ourselves, whether positive or negatively inflated, we have spiritual companions say, I think maybe you could take another look at this. You know, you seem to be believing in something that's not, not necessarily real here. When we're deluded, spiritual companions are not just a good idea, they're an excellent idea. And maybe this is one reason why the Buddha said spiritual companions are essential element of the spiritual life. The blessing of being part of a spiritual community. So the impulse to bring about disruption, the idea that new and improved is better, my encouragement would be to carefully question that and consider that so long as our motivation is distorted by these three poisons, so long as our awareness is warped by greed, hatred and delusion, then it's very unlikely that our intention to cause disruption is going to be helpful mm-hmm. to the degree that awareness is freed from these poisons. I think it's safe to assume that we can, we can feel that our efforts are going to be contributing to our own healing and the healing of the world that we live in. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. <clears throat>